This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. Okay, so I'm going to make a commitment to you this morning that you better be ready for. Are you ready? You will never be the same after you hear what the Holy Spirit has to say to you today. It didn't come from me, it came from him. So if you've got fingers to point, then uh, that's where they need to go, okay? I want to read two scriptures this morning. Um, I want to first read from Romans chapter 4, verses 17 to 21. Um, As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Who contrary to hope in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith giving glory to God. The other scripture that I want to read is Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life appears then you will also appear with him in glory. So a number of weeks ago, I started a series called The Making of a Man. And I did part one. And then I had to do a whole bunch of other stuff because I think that the Holy Spirit really wanted to set the foundation for some of that stuff. And so now we're doing The Making of a Man part two. I had to build up your, your enthusiasm for it. Are you with us this morning? Yes. Okay, here we go. Who likes Christmas? Yes. Christmas is a wonderful, wonderful event. Christmas is a wonderful celebration. And the reason that Christmas is so important is because Christmas speaks to us. Nate, it's, it's bad up here. Why don't you just pull it down? I don't know what it is. Christmas speaks to us. Of Emmanuel, God with us. We sometimes don't think about that because we live in a different, a different era to the people at that stage. But you've got to realize at that point, up until Christmas, up until the time when Jesus was born, humanity had lived without access to God. They never had direct access to him. They had to go through the priest. They had to go and approach the prophet. They had to go to the king. They had to go to God's man of the hour. The wonderful thing about Christmas is it was a revelation to humanity that said, God is going to make himself available and accessible to you. 
It was the start of a promise of something. He had set in course a motion and he was moving in a place and he was moving in a direction where things were going to change for humanity. People, civilization would change as a direct result of the birth of Christ coming into the place. So we love Christmas because Christmas is good. Christmas is all about God revealing himself being accessible to us. And although Christmas is good and although Christmas is wonderful, the more important holiday is Easter. You see, Easter speaks to us about the death and the resurrection of Christ. You see, it's because of the death and the resurrection that God said, I'm no longer just coming to be amongst you, but it's because of the death and the resurrection that I'm coming to live within you. Things changed because of Easter. Things changed for you because of Easter. He created opportunities for you to recognize and move into a relationship with God where he wasn't distant. He wasn't even outside of you. But because you are willing to embrace him, he's wanting to move into that space to the most sacred part of who you are. And he's wanting to make himself known to you. Death and resurrection is what characterize Easter. Death and resurrection is significant because you will never be the same. What God was saying was this. I know where humanity is and I understand the challenges that you faced not having access to who I am and what I'm all about and you will never be the same again. Never will you be at a place where you will be at a, where, where you will not be able to call on my name and have access to me and allow me to flood your life and who you are to bring about invitations to change and transformation to newness, to fullness, to victory, to overcoming. He's wanting to do something in your life. And Easter is what made it available and accessible to us. There is a vitality. And there is a power that goes with Easter. When you're introduced to Christ, when the spirit of Christ comes and takes up residence on the inside of you, you should never be the same. You, if you're sitting in limbo, if you feel like a duck paddling underneath and there's a whole bunch of stuff going on, do you know what he's waiting for? He's just waiting for an invitation and he's going to flood your life in a way that you've never known. It was the birth of a new creation, something that had not existed since God first made humanity. There were only two other people that had realized and experienced what Jesus had made available to all of us. It was Adam and Eve. It was only Adam and Eve who knew what it was to have God and the life of God on the inside of them. And when they lost that, man lived without access to God. We lived without the presence. We lived without who he was on the inside of us. And Jesus said, I'm coming to pay the price. I'm going to raise, not just because I'm going to rise from the dead because I died and I rose. But when I rise, I want you to know something. It's coming with power and it's coming with authority and it's coming with victory. And I am coming as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And when King of Kings and Lord of Lords walks into every aspect of your life, every knee will bow. (laughs) 
And every tongue will confess. Every part of your life that doesn't look like him and who he is will bow their knee and confess him as Lord. Do you know what it's talking about? It's talking about righteousness. He's saying, I didn't just die so that you can be born again and say one day I'm going to heaven. I died because the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is wanting to flood your life. Righteousness is what defines us. The life of Christ comes on the inside of me. I spoke about this last week. It's moved into the neighborhood. God is in the neighborhood, but he's not simply living in his home. He's coming out and he's wanting to redo everything so that we take on his nature. We want it to change. He's wanting to change us. He's wanting us to move to a place where if you will just begin to encounter me in some spaces, I will move into your life and you will know what it is to live in relationship with me. God is not distant. God is not unapproachable. God is somebody who's wanting to move into that space so that he becomes somebody that you live with and that you encounter, that you have intimate relationship with and that manifests himself in the redesign and the reformulation of the foundation of your life. He's moving into a space where he's bringing with him some God ideas. And when he comes in with God ideas, God ideas introduce us to God's thinking. And when I start thinking like God, all of a sudden what starts happening is I find myself at a place where I begin to change. Because why? My beliefs are being infected and infused with life. And when my beliefs shift, my foundation changes. God is wanting to flood your life. The biggest message that Jesus spoke about before his death was kingdom. You know why? What he was saying was this. There are two kingdoms in the earth. Sin and death. Love and life. There are two kingdoms. What he was saying was, you may have been at a place where the greater part of your life has been defined because you only had access to sin and death. You only had access to a reality that was defined outside of my influence and who I was. And that may have given definition to who you are. But I want you to know something, that the kingdom is come. And the kingdom is within you. It's not something outside of here. I'm wanting to flood every aspect of your life with the love and the life, the victory and the overcoming of who Christ is. The whole point I think it's Matthew 14, verse 16. It says the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Do you know what he's saying? When he speaks about righteousness, he's talking about a redefinition of who you are. Not just your spirit. He's saying, I'm coming out of the neighborhood, out of my house into the neighborhood. I'm coming into the way that you think. I'm coming into the way that you feel. I'm coming into your attitudes. I'm coming into your dispositions. I'm coming into the decisions that you make. I'm wanting to flood your life so that you look like me. And when you live from that place, you live from a place of peace and joy. Kingdom living is happy living. I didn't say there's not stuff going on in your life. I said kingdom living is happy living. Kingdom living is fulfilled living. 
but I've got to get in the kingdom. I've got to get in the kingdom. It becomes important for us, and one of the most essential elements for us as born-again believers is to recognize the fact that you operate in two paradigms. You are a spirit being having a natural experience. What it means is, when God first meets you, he's going to meet you spiritually. And so I'm going to encounter him in that role. If all I ever do is I live in the natural role, the challenge that I have is it doesn't give me the ability to access and participate in the things of God. God is spirit. God is spirit. If you want to access the things of God, I've got to become more acclimatized to spiritual living. I've got to be aware of the fact that I'm living and I'm operating and I, I, I find myself experiencing a natural existence. But it's not limited to and defined purely by that. I also have a spiritual paradigm. And it's in this place that I have to get comfortable. It's in this place that I have to begin, as a believer, move to a space where I begin to give it more emphasis. I have to be intentional about cultivating my knowledge and my sensitivity to it because it exists. It becomes important because that's where I get to meet God. God is not going to arrive and sit on the seat here. He's going to meet you in that space. The things that happen to us happen to us in a spiritual dimension. And so if we only live from the natural, what we do is we preclude ourselves from actually experiencing what the Spirit has to offer us. It becomes important for us to move into a place where we recognize that God has gifted us with tools to be able to live in the natural realm. But our ability to be comfortable and to recognize the fact that the spirit realm, number one, has a reality and number two, has the power of influence becomes important. Because I can tell you that the spirit realm and where God lives is going to war against your natural realm. The challenge that we have is if I'm established in the natural realm, my paradigm and my thinking is based on what I can see and feel and think and quantify and live by. The thing about it is the Holy Spirit looks at that and he says, well, your thinking and your logic makes as much sense to me as sitting saying, let's bake a cake from a recipe called the rules of football. It's irrelevant. God doesn't care what we think. God doesn't care about the limitations that we place on the spirit realm. It doesn't inhibit him. It inhibits us. Anytime I go to God with restrictions and I say, I don't believe that, I've just said to him, I'm closing the door on your influence in this space. So we have, it becomes vital for us to move to a place where we become overtly sensitive to the fact that there are possibilities that exist in a dimension called the spirit realm. That's why God calls us to take heaven to earth. That's what he's saying. He's saying there are possibilities that happen up there that don't happen down here. Abram finds himself in a place where he's walking around and his reality says to him, you will forever be fruitless. You will never have a child. One. His reality is talking to him. But Abram's reality is totally inconsequential in God's world. God walks into his reality and says, Hey, Abram, I've got some good news for you. You're going to be the father of many nations. You've got a choice to make. Something's going to define you. 
Is it going to be the spiritual paradigm or the natural paradigm? There are some things in life where you get one shot at it. One shot. There's no plan B and there's no retake. Raising kids. You get one shot at it. For a lot of things in life, we're not fully equipped. Ask new parents. You need wisdom and understand. I'm trying to parent. I'm trying to raise three kids. But I get one shot at it. Because the time is going to come when they move out of the house. And when they're out of the house, they become an adult. Dear Lord, let them respect me enough to come and ask for my input on some things every now and again. But there's no guarantee. At that stage, it's gone. Raise up a child in the way that they should go. And when they're older, they won't. It it, it astonishes me. This This is a personal thing. Parents who don't bring their kids to church. It shocks me. Because you're raising them with a paradigm that it's not important. And unless that's supplemented in some way, the challenge with it is we wonder why our kids grow up and they have no sensitivity or no inclination towards spiritual things. Raise up a child in the way that it should go. I get one shot at it. And at the end of that, they're going to move on and they're going to live life. And what is it going to look like? And I'm trusting and I'm believing that I've imparted to them enough value so they're able to sit and look at it and say, I know what's important and what isn't. I'm able to calibrate my life accordingly to a value set that's consequential. I'm able to put myself at a place where as I navigate life, I know that I'm going to have challenges, but I think I'm established enough to be able to handle them. But once the time is gone, I don't get to rewind the clock. You get one shot at your career. One shot. Doesn't mean you're not going to make mistakes. It's fine. But what I'm telling you is, as you navigate that and as you move it, and as you're building it and as you're moving forward, and you get to a place of retirement at 60, 65, 70, whatever, whatever. At that point, it's too late. It's too late to say, if I had to do it all over again, You get one shot. You get one shot. You get one shot at life. You're living it right now. You get one shot. When you get to the end, it's too late to say, I have regrets. I wish. So it becomes important for us, recognizing the fact that I only get one shot at it, to get it right. And what I'm proposing to you today is that we never get it right outside of relationship with him. He created. And if he created, he knows how he did it. And he created in a way that fullness of experience comes out of relationship with him. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. So that they can have dominion. One of the most important rules that you can ever remember. Everybody who's sleeping, wake up now. (laughs) Say, here's a point, here's a point. (laughs) Pay attention if you're taking notes, this is the point. 
You are in the world. You're not of it. Listen, it's very important because I'm going to tell you what I mean by that. It's a fundamental, it's a, it's an important principle for who you are. We're talking about your life. You get one shot at it. You are in your reality. You're not the product of your reality. Stop being the product of your reality. God didn't invite you to do that. The problem with it is, is that we move through places and I know people and they're up one day because everything's going great. And I'm in the doldrums the next because why my reality changed. I love this because everything's going great. Oh, things are so terrible because it's going. Your reality is never going to stay the same. It's going to shift and it's going to move. And some people struggle with some stuff that other people don't have to. And some people have some pain that's put into this that people don't have to. Everybody's reality is different. But what he says is, you're in the reality, but you're not of it. He's saying something important. He's saying, I'm talking about the one shot you get. If you live your life in response and reaction to your reality, you will never be stable. Some of the most difficult people to live with are people who live from their reality because they don't grounded. There's no stability. Their house isn't built on the rock. It's built on whatever's happening at the moment. Up and down, left and right. This way, it's stop. Stop. There is a place of comfort and security when you're built on stability. Things will happen, but I'm not going to let them define me. When God created man, he said, let us make man in our image. You know what the definition of an image is? It is the representation of the form of a person or an object. Do you know what he was saying? I'm wanting you to be the image of me. I'm wanting you to represent who I am in an external form. And when you live from that place, you will look like me. That's what he was saying. He was saying, when you get yourself at a place where you understand who I am, when you get yourself to a place where you allow me to birth some stuff in your life, to be the one who establishes the foundation, the rock on which you build your life, you'll find yourself at a place that you're able to move into realities. And I recognize my purpose. I'm not here to be influenced by you. It's real. It's happening. But he's called me to influence my world. Are you influencing or are you influenced? The challenge is we've allowed our purpose to define our destiny. Your destiny was to be conformed to the image of Christ. That's your destiny. It's about conformity to who he is. It's about allowing his life to give definition to who I am so that I could live from a purpose. Every time I walk into a situation, I recognize because I have his life on the inside of me. It colors my perspective and the way that I view the situation. And in that moment, I recognize my purpose and I'm here to do this. 
But if I'm not defined by him, what happens is I walk into my situation and I allow what's happening in my situation to give definition to me. Galatians 2.20, second part of the verse says, it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying, you don't have to be a product of your reality anymore. What I'm introducing you to is the opportunity to allow me to give definition to who you are. And although you may be in the flesh, you live from a different place. Easter is a celebration about Christ being born in me. So if Christ is going to be born in me, and he's wanting to give definition to my life, if I'm at a place where I'm recognizing the fact that I have limitations because I only get one shot at life, it's probably helpful for me to try and understand how is my identity developed? What is my identity? Who are you? And what I'm proposing to you today is this. Your identity is your self-concept. It's the foundation of your life. It's your self-image. It's your heart. It's that thing that defines the essence of self. How is the essence of self defined? As we go through life, we're going to be exposed to ideas. Different environments give us different ideas. Different relationships give us different ideas. Our relationship with God gives us ideas. And as we take those ideas and we digest them, what ends up happening is ideas start to produce thoughts. I start to think about what's just been given to me. I start to consider it. I meditate on it. And as I spend a little bit of time meditating on it, if it's something that seems to resonate with me, after a period of time, what ends up happening is I digest it. I fall in love with it and it becomes a belief. This is what I believe. This resonates with me. This is something that I'm taking into myself and I'm going to take it and build it into the foundation of my life. It's called a belief. You are the sum of all of the beliefs that constitute your life. That is the foundation of your life. When the foundation and the beliefs that I build on come from him, I'm building a solid foundation. When the things that constitute the foundation of my life, when the matter or the material that I'm using to build the foundation of my life comes from my reality, you're building on clay soil. It'll be okay today, but it'll be wobbly tomorrow. It's about the foundation of our life. Hmm. So I'm going to tell a story about Viv and me. Viv and I have a little pack together. 
Viv and I do our math homework together. And the thing about it is, I don't know why she comes to me, because I'm worse at math than she does. It's probably because I've been there. In fact, it was, I hated math so much my entire life, and nothing's changed. <laughs> when I was in college, I had to do a whole semester of statistics. I have been to purgatory and back. It's worse than you can possibly imagine. So we do our math homework. And now Viv's like me because we, we hate math. And our, our brains just aren't built that way. And so what ends up happening is we get this homework and we have a look at it. And we're looking at this homework and we do the best we can. And then sometimes Viv goes off and she writes a test and the wheels just come off horribly. I know, I had that as well. And so what happens is she comes home with this test result. And she goes, it was awful. I didn't do well at all. And I worked at it. It's in realities that are defined by challenge that you need to be very guarded about the ideas that are birthed. You see, it's in the challenge of I didn't do well. That's the reality. The reality is I didn't do well at the math test. Okay. That's not the problem. The problem is the reality is birthing and seeding ideas. And the idea that it's seeding is this. Because you don't do well at math, you're not very smart. It's an idea. It came from my reality. And I look at my math test and I go, oh, could have done better. I didn't do as well as some of the others. Maybe there's some legitimacy to it. I'm finding evidence for the idea that's coming from my reality. I'm supporting and building a case for the ideas that come from my reality. And I have to be very careful because it's easy for me if I'm not discerning as a mature believer to be at a place where I sit and say, no, I will not be conformed to my reality. Jesus said that I was made the way that he created me to be. And he's created for me to do wonderful things as a result of my relationship with Christ. And maybe math isn't in my future. Big revelation. Here it comes. You're not going to be good at everything. You weren't built to be good at everything. And you could be send a spaceship to the moon. But you know what? You can't draw a stick man. You're not good at everything. Why? Because I knew you before I formed you in the womb. I don't need you to have that as part of your future. I don't know what constitutes your life, but you sit and you move and you navigate that space. And as you walk through, you sit and say, you know what? I did my best at that. Father, I believe you for that. But you know what? It's not going to define me. Your definition comes from him. Be aware. You are in your reality. You're not of your reality. You are in your reality. You're not of it. 
Abraham finds himself in a reality. Hundred years old. A wife who's barren. And he says, you're not going to define me. You want to know why he's the father of faith? How many people at a hundred are looking to start? A generation. It's extreme. But God is extreme. When I move to a place where I'm balancing the reality between who I am and how I move through this natural experience called life but I overlay it with the spirit be aware of the fact that everything he's going to want to do in your life is going to defy your logic never if you ever meet him at a place where you're struggling to believe it it's because of you not him it's okay it's okay to be at that place my encouragement to you is this you go to the Holy Spirit and you say Holy Spirit I'm struggling with some unbelief here I can't get on the same page as you. I need you to do something in my life to redefine who I am. I need you to come in and change this reality and this foundation to my life because I don't want it to be defined by the limitations of what I think and what I imagine you can do. Come in and do something so I can embrace your potential. We are spiritual beings having a natural experience. It shouldn't shock us. When we look to have influence in our reality. It shocks us because we're so accustomed to being in the world and of the world. You can't have an offspring, Abram. I've made your father of many nations, Abram. Ideas are powerful because they carry with them the potential of definition. Whichever idea you're prepared to become familiar with and you allow into your life is going to form the foundation to who you are. Ideas. The reason Easter was important, wait, let me do this another way. Who owns you? Somebody owns you. Sometimes, because we are part of the world and we are raised in a very humanistic environment, what ends up happening is we sit and say, nobody owns me. I'm my own boss. Master of my own destiny. But you're really not. You see, the thing about it is, we were created to live from image. And when we live from image, that image defines who we are. And we will reflect its likeness. And if God doesn't form the image that we base ourselves on, we'll find another one. The challenge with it is this. In the grand scheme of everything on earth, there are only two natures. The nature of sin and death and the nature of love and life. And one of the two is going to define every aspect of our lives. 
I bought you with a price. You see, the thing is, whatever gets to define the foundation of our life will own us. Because when you have that nature established in you, that's what you live from. That's why God always talks about the fact that he's far more interested in the root of your life than the fruit of your life. We can look really good by producing fruit on ourselves, but God looks at it and says, the root's rotten. He's not interested in what's coming out. He's interested in what's established inside. He's all about, where is Christ? When the father looks down, do you know what he's looking to find? Christ. If you want to know what's happening in the situation and the way the father sees it, where is Christ? That's what he's looking for. Nothing else is consequential in his economy. It's all about Christ. Christ is in all and is all. Jesus says, you've been bought with a price. What he was saying was this. Up until the point where I died and was resurrected, you never had options. You were stuck with your reality. All I could do was go through life and what was happening here was going to give definition to who I am. And I had to take it and I had to eat it and I had to digest it and I had to get defined by it because I never had options. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. What he's saying is you don't have to live by your reality anymore. Christ is stepping into the picture all of a sudden as the one who is the author and the finisher of what your life should be. He's saying to you, you have options. Next time you're responding and reacting to your reality, you have options. You don't have to let it define you. You have options. That's what's a huge advantage to the born again people is because we have the life of God on the inside of us. Every time you encounter a reality, Jesus jumps up and he says, I've got a solution for that. Can you hear his voice? Did you hear him and what he said to you? Abraham heard you'll be a father of many nations. What is he saying to you in your current predicament? What did he say? You've got to hear his voice. You must hear it because his voice brings with it ideas. Ideas. We never get to a place where we take responsibility for developing our life. That's not your place. You see, the problem with that is this. If you're going to take responsibility for developing your life, you're going to be relegated to using your own tools. You only have two tools, your mind and your emotions, your thoughts and how I feel. And we have enough of a problem in this world with people who are defining themselves by how they feel. Can I take a little tangent? What school? People who go to school are young and influential. And we have a move in the nation right now to reconstitute what education is all about. Teach me math, teach me science, teach me history, teach me English, but don't teach me my gender. I don't need you peppering my kids with your ideas. 
That's my job. Raise up a child. Why? Because you've got your ideas what it needs to be. I'm, with respect, not interested in what your ideas are. Raise your own kids. Kids, young kids, impressionable kids are learning ideas, seeding their lives with ideas that never existed before, offering them things that they could consider that I wouldn't put into their lives. Can I just wade into a little bit deeper? Can I? Okay. Promise me that you love me. And if I'm horribly offbeat, just pray for me. And if you really disagree with me, please can we just be mature enough to, to agree to disagree. Is that okay? Yeah, talk is cheap at this point. <laughs> Tell me that afterwards. When I was growing up, and I was in high school, I couldn't tell you what transgender was. Never heard it in my life. In fact, I probably only heard it about five years ago. And even then, I didn't know what it was. I had to go and look it up. You walk onto any school campus right now. You walk onto any high school campus, walk onto any college campus, and you have a whole bunch of people who are transgender. Where did it suddenly proliferate from? Why? Ideas. Ideas. Never existed beforehand. Now we've got ideas. God loves you. It doesn't matter who you are. The fact of the matter is this. God knew you before he formed you. You were not an accident in any way. And if you find it difficult to embrace my gender, it's not because God made a mistake. And it's not because society is at fault. I can't get to the place where I'm looking for all of society to change the values that established society to accommodate everybody else. Because the problem with it is it introduces a whole idea called inclusivity. And it's toxic. You know what it says? It says it doesn't matter what you believe or think. If somebody else is different, you have the problem. You need to change. So we, fall, we start to establish a society based on the lowest common denominator. We embrace everything. No. There comes a time where you sit and say, no. God loves you so much. And let me tell you, if you're struggling to, to come to terms with who you are, and it's a real struggle for people. Everybody has struggles growing up in different areas. I wish I was taller. I wish I was more muscular. I wish I was, I don't know. Everybody's got their stuff. It just is what it is. But the thing is, how do we get you to a place where you recognize the fact that God had a perfect plan for your life? And part of your, your gender is something that feeds that and becomes the foundation to that. Because unless you move on into that and you embrace it, you'll never know what it is to be a husband or a wife. You'll never know what it is to be a father or a mother. 
You're playing with stuff that's going to affect your future. And some kids are too young to make changes that cannot be reversed. Sarah and I, she was, we listened briefly and she was telling me about this woman who grew up with the whole feminist movement. I don't agree with any movement like that. Honestly, don't define people by weird stuff. We're all about the fact that respect and love people because of who they are. And the fact of the matter is everybody's going to be different. I don't want to all be the same. I don't want a homogenous society. I like the fact that we're all different. I love that. And she said, you know what? I regret being raised in the feminist movement. She said, I was raised in it and it came up. And because of it, it gave definition to my foundation. And I lived from a space of who needs men. I can do it. I'm able. I'm capable. Don't open the door for me. Don't pay for dinner. Don't invite. And at the end of it, she said, I'm retired. I'm successful in business. But she said, you know what? I'm lonely. She said, I had one shot at life, and I messed it up. I have no husband, and I have no kids. And she said, I can't go back and change it, because I bought some stuff that defined the foundation of my life. And I lived from that space, and I find myself now with regrets, and I can't change it. Be careful what defines your life. Jesus always introduces Christ as the author and the finisher of who you are. The author and the finisher of who you are. John chapter 4, verse 24 says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. I love that verse. Honestly, I had no clue what that meant. <laughs> yeah, I know. So that's yeah, that's all, all of you feel the same way. You just didn't want to admit it. What does it mean to worship God in spirit and truth? Our time to come together when we worship God and we praise God is a wonderful thing. But it is an extension of my lifestyle. God is spirit. What it's saying to us is this. As you navigate your realities, understand this. I'm always with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. But although you can't see me in your reality, understand that spiritually I'm there. Get tuned to the fact that he is spirit. And when I tune into spirit, it introduces me to something called the potential of worship. God is spirit, and those who worship me must worship me in spirit and in truth. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying, when you recognize who I am, and despite your reality, and despite what's going on, and despite what people are telling you, and despite how you feel, and despite what you think, you sit and say, I'm esteeming and I'm placing value on spiritual things here, not natural things. I move to a place of worth I sit and say, Father, tell me 
where you are in the space. Give me a word from you. What I'm saying is, it doesn't matter what's going on around here. My, my, my place of worth and value is not in my reality. It's in him. And in that space, I'm sitting saying, I'm looking for what is spirit to come in and give definition to my disposition. Speak to me about what it is to be a father of many nations. Although everything around me is sitting saying it's dead. That is the life of worship. The life of worship is when everything else seems to be against you. When everything in the natural seems to be fighting you. When your reality seems to be in opposition to you. And you sit and you say, what's most important to me, what I value and what I place worth on, more than anything down here is, Holy Spirit, speak to me. Give definition to what's happening in this situation so that I can establish that as the foundation for my walk through this situation. Seek those things which are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Do you know what he's saying? Make sure that the ideas of your life are never fed from your reality. But the source of every idea from your life comes from him. He's giving definition to who you are because he knows you get one shot. Not only does he say, seek those things which are above. But if you carry on, he says, set your mind on things above, not on the earth. Do you know what he's saying? The ideas that I give to you, take them and think on them. You know what thinking is about? Incubation. When you sit and think about stuff, you are incubating some stuff for your life. It says, Abraham considered not his body, a hundred years old. He considered not the deadness of Sarah's wombs. What he was saying was, I'm not going to incubate that. I don't want that to go any further than where it is right now. Taking every thought captive. Taking every thought captive. That's yours and my responsibility. What it's saying is, When you're out in life, it's kind of like spring. There's pollen everywhere. There's pollen everywhere. Take every thought captive because when you have an idea that comes in and you look at that idea, if you want to know whether it's from God or not, look at the nature. Is it something that's going to breed life and fullness and health? Is it something that's going to put you at a place where you're going to be salt and light? Because if it isn't, Is it coming to steal, kill, and destroy? If you identify the nature, pluck it out. Don't incubate it. He doesn't do some things for us. Why? Because he created you with a free will. He says, I can make options available, but I can't force you to do it because I gave you a free will. So we've got to choose. Be careful what you incubate in your life. Because you will build up a nest. You will build up a place for you to take those ideas and the thoughts that are incubated. And what ends up happening is you create a landing space for them called a belief. 
Anything you incubate is going to define your future. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. We have one shot at it. Some of us are a little further along the road than others. But I'm learning. And I'm growing. It becomes important because he's created us as a new creation. What he's saying is a new creation has the opportunity to be something different to the rest of the world. You have the potential to be that because you have the life of Christ on the inside of you. Always go to that place. Develop an intimate relationship with him. Become comfortable living in the space of walking through my reality, well aware of the fact that the spirit realm is there all the time. And because I'm in touch with him, I'm always living from a place of worshiping him in spirit and in truth. He will always introduce you to truth. I have the option to live from a different place. There are times where we go through life and I cannot tell you that it's going to be a cakewalk. In fact, I can guarantee it won't. But you know what? That's life. And as terrible as yours might be, sometimes the best perspective is go and find somebody else who has it worse off than you. like lots of people in America got so much to say and so much complaining to do I think we should put together a fund and send everybody of a few places I can think and go and spend six months there you will change your tune so fast life's going to happen when you're grounded in his design for your life, you find yourself established in right standing with him. And the fruit of right standing with him is peace and joy. It's going to happen, and I'm going to walk through it, and I'll make it to the other side. And the weird thing is, as huge as this may seem right at the moment, I can promise you, in three years' time, you will have forgotten it. It'll be a distant memory if somebody brings it up. Most things are not that consequential. No matter what it is that you're dealing with, I can promise you he has an answer. I can promise you he has an answer. Your homework for the week is to see yourself as a human filter. Don't let any idea through. Our responsibility is to recognize the fact that I'm in my situation, I'm in my reality, but it's not going to define me. As you navigate your way through this week, you're going to have plenty of ideas that are going to fling themselves at you. Be discerning. Don't incubate things with a bad nature because you're allowing it access to the foundation of your life. And when it gets in there, you will live from it. Good homework, isn't it? Father, I just want to thank you for the most incredible bunch of people.
I want to thank you, Father, for all of your blessings. I want to thank you, Jesus, for the price that you paid. I want to thank you that you came and that you died because you wanted to restore us to you. Once again, you wanted to open the door and the avenues for us to move into a place of relationship with you, a place where we can experience you so that you're not just a God who's off somewhere, a God that we can be aware of, but a God who wants to be intimately involved in who I am, a God who wants to be interwoven in the fabric of my life, the very fibers of my being to be the foundation of my life so that I can stand there and I can be solid. I bless you for what you've provided for us. I want to thank you, Father, that we have the opportunity to celebrate you. I want to thank you for the opportunity of worship, the ability to make a choice in my life as to what I want to esteem and what I want to place worth and value on and the ability to be able to incubate ideas from you. Thank you. Thank you that you're not limited by my thinking. Thank you that you're so much bigger. Holy Spirit, I pray that you just expand our vision. Those areas where we struggle to believe, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you just flood those spaces and you bring about a transformation and an expansion in a way that we've never known. We invite the spiritual dimension in. Make us sensitive to that. And I want to thank you, Father, that you're working in the lives of everybody here to create people who are fertile. People who produce generations of offspring, generations of life in different forms and in different expressions. We bless you for it now. In Jesus' name, amen.